Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I've said this before, many of you know, I grew up on a ranch in West Texas, and um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot of things growing up on a ranch in West Texas. Um, things that I'm still not sure why I learned, but I learned them nonetheless. But from as far as I can remember, um, sometimes random, but oftentimes because I was probably doing something I shouldn't have, my dad would send my brother and I to the pens to pick up rocks. I know you laugh, right? And it's true, we did. We picked up rocks in the pens. So, so about 100 yards from our house was uh, a, a huge barn where we kept pretty much everything. And then we had a shop. And then behind that barn was um, another barn. And then surrounding all of those barns were pens. And then, and then four pastures fed into those pens. And we did a lot of our work for our cattle and our sheep in those pens. They were piped with welded wire on them and uh, had chutes in them, the whole bit. We had everything in this central area where we brought most everything to work, cattle and sheep and goats. And, and my dad, on a regular basis, if my brother and I were getting into it for whatever reason, he would say, there's the wheelbarrow, go out to the pen and pick up rocks. And, and a as a child, I was always furious with this. I was like, why do I have to pick up rocks? right? The <clears throat> same things your kids do today. Like, why? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to? I'd pick up rocks, we'd load them in the wheelbarrow, and then we'd take them, and we'd dump them in a pile. And, and in West Texas, if you don't know much about West Texas, you pick up a rock, guess what's under that rock? Another rock. That's it, yeah? And so I'm like, I'm always like, there's another rock, Dad, you know? <clears throat> and, and, and we would pick up rocks, and then, like, you'd turn around and look, and it's like, I did nothing. You ever had that feeling? Like, that was useless. That was completely pointless, right? And as a child, as a young, amateur child, I never understood why my dad had us pick up rocks. I just never understood it. Like, I understood a lot of things about the ranch, or thought I did, but I didn't understand why we were picking up rocks in a pen, other than my dad disciplining us and saying, get out of my hair. I just never understood that. And, and, and I tell you that this morning because I, I feel as though sometimes within the church, as believers, we feel like that coming to church and sitting in here on Sunday morning is enough, and everything else we do, eh, it's kind of pointless. C coming to another Bible study, bringing my kids, volunteering in the kids ministry it that's not for me I, i'm good i came to church on sunday i'm good and we kind of feel that way and kind of view things you're like brady i don't think it's pointless i'm just glad somebody else does it right come on some of you a lot of you all right okay so so we kind of feel that way well as i grew in age and understanding of how a ranch operates what I began to understand was that that simple task of picking up rocks in a pen did something for the ranch. See, because the purpose of the ranch was to what? Raise cattle and raise sheep and produce those things to earn money to produce more 
right? That was the purpose of the ranch. But more so, the purpose of the ranch was to raise healthy cattle and healthy sheep. Well, rocks in a pen can cripple a cow. And what do you get for a crippled cow? Not much. And so I began to understand that, that picking up rocks and doing these, these tasks that, that were a part of the grander scheme and the grander purpose of the ranch, I was actually had a hand in how that ranch was successful just by picking up rocks. And I, and I learned that as I grew and understood. And I want us to understand this morning that everything we do here at Oak Grove has a purpose and a part of our mission statement that says leading our neighbors to know and be changed by Jesus. Every single part here has a role in playing that. And you, church, have a role in that. You have a role in that. Just as much as I, as the pastor here, has a role in this, you have a role in this. And that all starts with us understanding what it means for us as a church body to gather to lead our neighbors to know and be changed by Jesus. And so as we walk through the book of First and Second Timothy, I, I, our aim is simply this this morning, is that the gospel is priority. When, when Paul's going to give these instructions to the church, okay, in First and Second Timothy, he's going to give some instructions to us. But he starts it and says, this is what's priority. From this, everything else feeds out of. And, and just like I learned on that ranch and the purpose of, 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 of what I was doing and picking up rocks and understanding that it helped um, cattle not get crippled and begin to understand the role in that, everything in we, that we do is going to be centered around the fact that the gospel is priority. And we understand that. So that when you're cleaning a bathroom, that a kid's thrown up in. Guess what? There's purpose because the gospel's priority. It means that, that, that when you're sitting down listening to a child recite a memory verse, has purpose because the gospel is priority. It means when you show up on Wednesday night and hang out with students, we have some really cool students, by the way. For those of you that are looking for a place to serve, we have a place for you to serve, right? They're all clapping. Yeah, we have some awesome students. We're thankful for them. We have some really, really intelligent, amazing children that are learning the books of the Bible, that are weekly learning God's word, and they need you to step into their lives on Wednesday night for an hour and a half. They need you to step into their lives and just say, hey, you're doing an incredible job. I am so proud of you that you have learned this memory verse. And guess what happens? You begin to learn God's word as well. All of those things have a purpose because the gospel is priority. Kids knowing about Jesus is priority. Teenagers learning about Jesus is priority. 
Adults learning about Jesus is priority for our growth. That's who we are. And that's what Paul is going to declare to us this morning, that the gospel is priority. And we're just going to be in the first two verses, but let me paint some context for you. Paul's writing this, this, this letter to Timothy, and, and Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. And, and we've walked through the book of Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, that Paul wrote the letter to. But Paul's writing this letter to, to Timothy, and, and Timothy's pastoring the church at Ephesus. And he's dealing with some things. He, he's dealing with some issues that your church faces. And so I want us to understand that the context of this is not very far off from where we are today. You see, because the reality is, is that they, Paul's going to discuss women in the church and their roles. And he's going to discuss men in the church and their roles. And he's going to discuss this idea of elders and deacons. And he's going to discuss um, what does it look like for when, when, when false teaching comes into the church. And what do we look, with, with, look at with that? He's going to talk about how they were preoccupied with myths and genealogies and, and all these other things. And he's going to talk about money. Oh, preacher, don't go there. He's going to talk about it. He's going to say, hey, what do, what do, what do uh, believers who have money, what do they do with it? And he's going to address these things. And it's all, all incredibly relevant for us today for what Paul's going to declare to the church at Ephesus through Timothy say this is what the church is to look like this is how the church is to function it's beautiful and it's amazing and I'm ready for this journey with you because we're going to learn a lot together are we ready for that church ready together let's go 1st Timothy chapter 1 starting in verse 1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so here's what Paul does in this letter to Timothy. It's not it's not very um, different than, than most of his addresses to uh, the letters at the church, of the churches. But, but listen, I want us to see there's, there's three things that, that Paul's going to do. He's going to declare something. He's going to declare that Jesus is our Savior, that he is our hope. And ultimately, he's going to declare this, that he is our Lord. And what, is the, what do those things mean for us? And so Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, Listen, let me stop right there. Paul, Paul declares some things here. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of our God. Paul is, is, is combating some things already. The church at Ephesus we talked about is facing um, where they're, they're really, uh, really enthralled with genealogies and who came from where and, and, and this and that and, and who, who did this and who did that. And so Paul's, Paul's going ahead and saying right off the bat, hey, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, which means this, for him to be an apostle meant that he lived in Jesus' time and he had a personal experience with Jesus. 
And so we know that, that, that Paul um, would have lived during Jesus' time, but then he was a guy named Saul. That's right. And, and so he would have lived during Jesus' time, but then he also had a, on the road to Damascus, had an, an incredible personal experience with Jesus himself. Okay? And so Paul says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of our God. By the command of God. He's, he's saying, first of all, my credentials don't come from any man. They come from God alone. It is by the command of God in which I write this letter to you, Timothy, to the church at Ephesus, not because any man gave me the authority, but because of the authority of God. And for us, that's huge and that's important because it, we know then we can trust the word of God. Because this is not by the command of man that Paul is writing this, but by the command of God himself. But he's going to say this, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. So this word Savior, what, is, what does this mean for us? What does the word Savior mean for us? What well, means this is that we, as humans, are in need of saving. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean we're in need of saving? How many of you get up every morning and don't shut, raise your hands? But how many of you get up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, I'm doing pretty good? Yeah, some of us do. I mean, some of you do, right? But you may not say those words, but oftentimes throughout the day, if, if it's a particularly good day, we kind of have the thought of, man, things are going pretty good. How many of you have those thoughts? Come on. I'm asking you to raise your hand. Now, all of the children are being honest. What is going on? Okay. Right, we're, we we, we kind of have those thoughts. We live in kind of Western culture. We live in America. We're doing pretty good. Life is doing pretty well. And this is the danger of material wealth. This is the danger of us thinking that stuff makes us happy. Right? Because what do you and I know to be true, right? What does God's word tell us? Well, it tells us in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Also tells us for the wages of sin is what? Death. So what the word of God tells me and tells you is that I'm a sinner and for that sin I deserve death guess what you're not doing too good and neither am I and so, so here's what it means for Paul to say that, that God is our savior is that we realize that when God's word says that I'm a sinner and that I deserve death and that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and he went and died a gruesome death on the cross and all of the, the, the punishment that I deserve and you deserve was laid upon him on the cross and he died and put in a tomb and three days later rose, walked out of that tomb and rose from the dead 
and declared victory over that sin. That when you and I admit that we are sinners and we say this is who Jesus is, he is the savior of the world. We're gonna get to this in a minute. You make him the Lord of your life and you enter into a relationship with him. That sin is wiped away. What does it mean for, for God to be our Savior? It means for us to understand that we every single day are in desperate need of saving. And he came and he provided a way for you and I. And his name is Jesus. So he says, God our Savior. And he says, and of Christ Jesus our hope. Christ Jesus our hope hope. Jesus is our hope. He's, he's our Savior, but He's also our hope. And, and, and I was, I've been chewing on this for a while now. Of that word hope for us, it's an interesting word. We use it pretty flippantly, don't we? How many of you are like, I hope this ice melts soon? Yeah, yeah. Those of you with children, I hope this ice melts soon, right? We say that word pretty flippantly, don't we? I hope this happens, or I hope we get to eat at this restaurant after church when Brady finally stops talking, right? We hope this, or we hope that. And we use it in such a way that communicates and defines the word in this way, that, that hope is something that I I want to happen, but it, it, it might not, and it might. That's how we use the word hope in our, in our English language. This is not at all what Paul's saying. In fact, the Greek word here communicates certainty. That when, when Paul says that Jesus Christ is our hope, he is communicating that it is certain that there, there, there's a hope of heaven that this is not it. That no matter what your circumstance is, no matter what you're going through in life, he is the hope of all that you walk through. That he is certain. He's not going to move. He is unchangeable. That in the midst of your darkness, he is light. That's what, what Paul's saying when he says that Jesus is our hope. It's, it's, a, it's certain. There's no doubt. There's no wondering if that's a possibility. I hope I get to eat at this restaurant today. My wife made a different decision. We're going over here, right? That's how that works, isn't it? That's not who Jesus is. When we say Jesus is our hope, we are certain of that. And we can believe in that. And we can trust in that. When everything is good, we can trust in it. When everything is bad, we can trust in it. When everything is awesome, we can trust in that. When everything is, feels like everything is falling apart, we can trust in that. Jesus is our Savior, and he is our hope. And then Paul's going to go on, he's going to say this, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, he simply, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a intimate, loving address to Timothy who he appointed to be the pastor at the church of Ephesus. It says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. What does it mean for Jesus to be our Lord? He is our Lord. What does that mean for you and me? When I'm having conversations with our kids, um, with, with Landry and Briggs about coming to know Jesus, they understood that they were sinners. And they could tell me that they believed in Jesus, that he came to die on the cross for their sins. But when we got to that last part of, of making him the Lord of their life, that, that, that word Lord was a little strange for them. And I think for a lot of us, that word is strange. Lord. It's not, it's not in our vernacular most days. Right? And so... It made me go, okay, what can I communicate to my, what can I communicate to my kids' hearts that help them understand what it means for Jesus to be the Lord of their life? And so we just started saying it means that Jesus is the boss of your life, that he controls everything. That when I make Jesus the Lord of my life, it's a full-blown surrender. It's not a halfway surrender. It's not a, I'm going to hold on to this, but I'm going to give you this, God. It, it is a hands wide open. God, I am all yours. You are the boss, and you get to make the decisions. Even when I question it, I'm following you. They begin to understand that. They begin to grasp that. But let me tell you something. In thinking through that from my own heart, whoo, begin to think, God, what am I not surrendering to you? What am I not letting you be the Lord of in my life? Because I, I think we, we come in here on Sunday and, and we've got a pretty good idea of who Jesus is and, and, and we know that we're sinners and we, we believe that he is our Savior and we believe that, that he died on the cross for our sins and he raised three days later, was raised from the dead. We believe those things, but, but what does it mean for, for Jesus to be the Lord of our life? It means that we surrender our all to him. It means that we, we give up our comfort sometimes to serve him when the need arises. It says, whatever you want, God, I am yours. That's what it means, as simply as I know how to put it. Whatever you want, God, I am yours. And so Paul, right off the bat in 1 Timothy, sets the stage and says, hey, look, the gospel's priority because here is who God is. He is our Savior. He is our hope, and, and he is our Lord. And, and because of those things, then, church, this is how we behave. Because Paul's going to address over and over in the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. He's going to say, hey, you're, what you believe, he does this in Ephesians too, so don't, don't your mind shouldn't be blown because we've talked about this in the book of Ephesians, right? What you believe impacts on how you behave. It's not the other way around, right? It's what we believe impacts how we behave. And so here's the deal, I think, for a lot of us, and then we'll wrap up, is, is this. Is that I think sometimes we come into church and 
okay, fine, I'll serve. I'll do that. Or I'll do this. And we go and we do it. And we might grumble. We might complain. We might not. Or we just might not do it. And here's, here's I've been processing, chewing on this. I've, Logan and I have had conversations about this. Is that my fear for a lot of us is that we serve out of guilt. I feel bad because I have I have not um, I've not done this or because I've done this I, I need to do this now right and we serve out of guilt and we make it about well I guess I guess I'll go serve because you know I haven't done a very good job of serving lately so I guess I'll go do it and we serve out of guilt and oftentimes, sometimes that guilt even leads to, 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 to shame, which are two completely different things. Guilt is saying, hey, I, will, I, I do this because I feel bad for doing this over here, right? Where shame, shame guilt leads to shame oftentimes, and, and, and shame is, is not a biblical concept. Guilt is. Shame is not. And shame says that there's something wrong with me, but oftentimes our guilt leads to our shame. And shame says there's something wrong with me. And because there's something wrong with me, if I serve enough or if I do enough good things, it'll outweigh the things and it covers up my shame. Right? And oftentimes I feel like that the church, we have a bunch of people serving in this way and out of these places. And I want to tell you this morning that when, when we serve out of an understanding of who Jesus is, that's called conviction. Because conviction is a deep-seated long, longing desire to please the one who has saved me. And instead of serving out of this over here, I wanna, I wanna serve and go, God, thank you so much that you have saved me. God, thank you so much that you are my hope. God, thank you so much that you are my Lord. And I'm all in. Whatever you want, God, I'm here to serve. And there is no acceptable reason why Oak Grove Baptist Church should be begging for children's ministry volunteers. There is absolutely no reason that Oak Grove Baptist Church should be begging for youth volunteers. There is no acceptable reason why Oak Grove Baptist Church does not have enough volunteers right now. Because he, if he is your Savior, and He is your hope, and He is your Lord, you say with all that you are, God, I'm yours. Use me. Spend all of my energy. Spend everything I am to serve you, my King. We have places for you to serve. Bang down the door, ring the phone as much as you can to serve out of conviction for the King who has saved you. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. God, that you saved us. Father, that you are our hope and that you are our Lord. 
Father, I pray that as um, a church, that we would grab a hold of this and we would I'd long to serve you all the days of our lives. If we have breath, we have purpose. So God, move in these moments as only you can. Father, we're grateful for how much you love us and how good you are to us. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.